I V M. I have to be honest. This is a slightly different episode from what you've done so far. A because um, it's with someone I have fanboyed about for a long time. Uh, and B because it's not a generic conversation where we have lots of randomness. But uh, for once, I had to be straightforward and actually get to the point in terms of really getting a bunch of things out of someone I really admire. Because I didn't grow up wanting to be an entrepreneur. I honestly wanted to be a VJ on MTV. I'm a '90s kid. Don't blame me. That shit was cool then. But when I did take the plunge in 2009, I honestly didn't know too many people to look up to in the space, especially in the media space. Right? I didn't really know too many people who had actually started and run an organization. But as time grew and I began to see the whole media entertainment and advertising space of what it was, there was always one gold standard. Now, and there's also a question many people have asked me, um, which is that who's an Indian entrepreneur you always looked up to? And my answer almost every time would be Ronis Gruvala. He's by leaps and bounds, and I repeat this word: the gold standard of a pure media entrepreneur, um, as in its most new age form, and not in its traditional family-driven business. And as I look at his journey from his early days in the space to now, I see a few threads that I've come to look at as the pillars of not just being a great media entrepreneur, but to also be an awesome media professional in today's time. Now I could go on and on about him for this entire episode, but then you'd miss out on all the things he has to share and and say. So notebooks and pens out because this is a very special episode of Advertising is Dead with me, Varun Dugirala, co-founder and Kornichi for the glitch, talking to the one and only Ronis Ruwala. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Advertising is Dead. We're with, on a very special episode with, uh, and I'm going to try not to fanboy, with Ronnie Skruvala. I, I don't know how I'm going to call you by your first name first of all. It's going to take Why me some that? time to do that. I'm, okay. I'm, and so, I, because I've been talking to the guys at IBM for a while and saying, when, am I, when do I get to do this? Because well, I, you have to call me by my first name because Skruvala <laughs> in any case is a very tricky <laughs> tricky name to keep going at it on the set. Fair enough. Then I will, I, I will, I will call yeah. you Ronnie. Um, and I was telling you this before we start recording. You saying that when we started Glitch ten years ago, you were responsible for giving us our first gig, and we were people who had, didn't have any background in what you we were doing. You guys, two guys who left a music channel and decided to start a production house. And uh, and I remember walking into the UT office at that point of time and kind of seeing the the vibe of things were, and we got this project. And I remember how we kind of felt that day. Um, when you're starting off, and a lot of people ask this question, you have this, uh, people say that it's tough to start off. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always felt that it's actually, after after you get your first gig, the second one is really the toughest thing to do. Um, would you agree? Would you say that's how the journey of knowledge is? Yes, I think the, the biggest challenge, obviously, for most people is the final decision-making process, because there are two things. Yeah. I mean, or three things. I think the, the fear of failure that holds you back, the yeah. sitting on the fence just sounds like such a comfortable place to sit on, <laughs> that getting off it either which way is a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, And I think the third one is about timing, yeah. because most people feel... Okay, let me try it. Now, the word "try" itself is a is a is the first ding dong of failure yeah. because I think you can't time it. So I think between those three, if you get past that, then you feel wow, I've gotten into that. But I think scaling an organization, um, you know, whether it's your first fundraise, your second fundraise is much yeah. more. The first five people may be tough to hire, but the next fifty people are even more difficult to hire. Yeah. So yes, yeah. that's how it would go. And. And many times when you read about the entrepreneurial journey and we've, with multiple things in terms of books and everything else, what really gets spoken about a lot more is about 
the the good stuff that happens um but i know that you propagate that you need to have enough failures along the way yeah. to really be able to do this. and the failures could be as small as, as saying um the fact that you not being able to maintain the office the way you wanted to or not able right. to hire someone or to yeah. or, or even cash flow right and and yeah. and how, when you look at failures as something that's given because we keep having these conversations with, with a lot of people and how, how do you see that being important well i mean success is always comfortable to hear about so mm-hmm. if you keep if you keep reading about people's success mm-hmm. how is that going to how are you learning yeah. uh, because it's a nice comfort zone yeah. you you can have that sometimes if you want to write read something encouraging mm-hmm. uh, but primarily the hunger for you is to really figure out the cathartic stories yeah. the stories where people have come up from something yeah. uh, and you're not going to get that and i think the real world is about that right yeah. the fact of the matter is if you don't understand how important it is to fail and i you know i don't think we should be made in this one punishing regime nor should we made that everyone just has to fail for, yeah, to succeed yeah. i think we over dramatize it on the other side also but i think in india the main problem is that we don't evangelize it hmm. and we don't celebrate it enough yeah. and i don't mean that just because you failure at the minute you fail you open a bottle of champagne it's more about understanding that wow this is anyway the progress to doing that and if you can't you keep calling your failure a failure and not a setback yeah and for me the best criterion has been is if i can you know laugh about it 6 months later on some mm-hmm. of that um it's always a good way yeah. and that's that's sometimes gets you through a thing yeah. like says yeah. wow this is a really yeah. bad moment you think i'll ever be able to laugh about this 6 months from now and if you feel good about that that's already thawing uh, in that process and sometimes i think uh, people ask you like what's your worst failure and yeah. i'm saying there is no such thing because right now maybe my last failure would appear to be my worst yeah. but um, you know as far as i'm concerned my worst failure is still to come yeah and and context is so important also right? like yeah. what you're saying right and i think many times it's about failures many times could even be tough could be people might construe a tough decision you had to take as an entrepreneur yeah. as being a failure but in many cases that tough decisions actually led to where Yeah. um you know the company's really gone and and that also at many times becomes a problem right and 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 i think uh, one big thing is indecision yeah and most people think indecision is a safe place to be <laughs> i think it's the worst place to be <laughs> that, that's so true because if you keep playing safe um and i and so i was talking to my partner yes and both of us were discussing i said do you have any questions uh, do you, if you had to ask uh, only one question what would you ask and he said that there was something you said a while back about saying if you had to choose between scale and control you would choose scale any day yeah um and his and and he reminded me this is actually one, a, a point which we discussed before we got acquired mm-hmm. uh, a year ago when we mm-hmm. were discussing should we do this or not mm-hmm. and he reminded and we in conversation this kind of came up and 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 he said that but as a caveat if in in choosing making that decision where do you draw the line of where scale ends and vision gets diluted you know it's a personal thing i don't think you can write a textbook on that in that it is a very personal yeah. thing uh firstly scale you need to get turned on by scale True. second if you are you got to see whether all your co-founders and especially your team yeah. is going to get turned yeah. on by scale yeah. and third is just because you're going to scale doesn't mean that the next level is yeah. a comfortable level to be in correct so are you fully prepared for that Uh, I think it's not about that versus control. I think the question here at the word control in India has a different connotation. Oh, bech diya. Because I think for most people, you know, we still have this obsession of a fifty-one percent. That yeah. seems to be the definition of control, which True. is so bizarre. But I think 
if you look at iconic statements, uh, iconic role models today, the key challenge is you don't have those. Yeah. I think, you know, 10 years back, the, the large industrial groups everyone looked up to. But yeah. today, yeah. I mean, it's not like you look down to them. Yeah. But there's no real reason why you would look up to them yeah. because the general new first generation entrepreneurs yeah. are creating better role models yeah. for different reasons. Yeah. And, you know, when you, when you go into that, a lot of, uh, I know that a lot of startup founders struggle with this battle, right? They're saying, okay, I've gotten this off the ground. Um, I need to do this. I'm I'm looking to get someone like a, a mentor or an investor. And you've, you've been that for, for many companies. Um, and it's also the value you bring in individually, um, yeah. apart from what we monetary in that sense. Yeah. Uh, what have you seen that, there are two things. One is what people tend, tend generally try to look for. And secondly, what they should actually be looking for, which is don't really ask whoever the mentor or the investor is. And, and what are those two sides? How do you see that? In, in the terms of the balance? Or yeah, in terms of like the balance what? of what people should really be looking for from their mentor or investor versus what they tend to ask yeah, for I a think, lot more. Um, to me, a mentor is someone who can really ask me the questions I can't ask myself. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking for answers. Mm-hmm. I'd much prefer a mentor ask me hard questions. Yeah. Because for the answer... If I want an answer from him, I'll have to give him or her a lot more information about every single aspect of the situation. Yeah. So most people think mentors are there to give you answers. I think that they're there to ask you the hard questions. Yeah. And also kind of put you on the journey which you need to go on, right? Not really tell you what to do, but really say, okay, well, this is what you might face. And through questions. Take, yeah, through exactly. questions. Yeah. Through questions that thought provoke you. Yeah, I know that you you got out of the content space for a while and and you looked at sports as an arena and you looked at your foundation as an arena for a bit. So I think my two Um, focus areas really has been our online education company and our foundations for this. And and very recently, although you got back into the content space and and more connected to us, the fact that Uri won a Khan this year um, for the marketing around it. Um, and, And what I find interesting with that is the fact that um, in some ways, um, I feel the agency space has always stayed away from really getting into what I would say the content business is. Yeah. And now everyone's talking content all the time. And right. I find that my side of the world, which is the agency world, kind of feels a little detached from it. Hmm. Um, from what you've seen in that space and whoever would be people creating stuff in it and so on and so forth, how do you see um, the kind of, uh, say, entrepreneurs coming into that space right now? From the which one? Compa- the-, the content space. Compared to how it was when you kind of came in, how, what is the difference? So storytelling, digital, story, yeah, in our yeah, yeah. I think storytelling is very universal. Mm. You know, I mean, I think I run an online education company yeah. along with my co-founders. And yeah. by the core of everything, when people ask me what's so common between media and education, yeah. I'm saying storytelling. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if you don't engagingly engage yeah. your learners. It's like I'm a good teacher in class. Yeah, right? and I think that's pretty much what that is. So um, now the question is, you may have, you may be doing something in 30 seconds, then yeah. you need to do something in 30 minutes, and yeah. then sometimes you need to do it in 300 minutes. Yeah. Hopefully not 300 minutes. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I think, but at the end, the core, if you're a storyteller, yeah. that's, yeah. that's yeah. going to be your common signal. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. much it. Yeah. Two things that I think an advertising marketing person would bring to that is one is, uh, a very strong uh, understanding of your audience because mm-hmm. that's what you're trained to do. And if yeah. you can bring that knowledge to storytelling, that's great. And second at the core is storytelling. Yeah. And and just going along with that whole storytelling aspect, right, which you said, um, as an, when you are running a company, when you are 
um, doing that. It's also about this, the 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 vision and the story that you continue to show to people you are you Correct. have work yeah. in the organization. Yeah. Uh, starts off as a small set, then scales and scales yeah. and scales beyond that. Yeah. Um, but as you're moving with that, um, how do you continue make yourself really look at that story and seeing how and and keep adding to it, not from fictionalizing it in that sense, but really being able to make sure that your vision is as connected to what it needs to be. Yeah, I think that clarity and conviction is to mm-hmm. come from you, and then yeah. you need to articulate it very well. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a very, very important point yeah. that um, you know you could be really bright and really clear, but if you're not being able to articulate your vision, you're yeah. not going to be able to really create that kind of value. Yeah. But it's a fine line between that and a lot of people who think that's the only thing to do. So I know that a lot of people have been able to raise a lot of money just on great articulation, yeah. which itself has its own problems. Because yeah. then when you get down to actually creating a business, you're lost. Yeah, that's true. And um, is there too much of a focus on present-day entrepreneurs on the funding cycle? Yes, too much. Too much, rather too than much. actually what the idea is. and It's just too much. It's disproportionate. Because the flag of uh, the badge of honor has almost become the funding you raise, not the yeah. business you create. And, and really running a profitable organization that actually... Gives- yeah, see, I think profitability is important. Yeah. And there could be gestation periods that could be long. True. So I'm not... I'm, I'm, I'm someone that... You need to run a real business. If that real business means you're going to be in investment mode for six to seven years, that's fine. Mm. So profit and loss, loss is not such a bad word. But if it's on a context where your gross margin positive is never and you're constantly giving, you're constantly buying customers based on discounts. I just don't see that as a long term model unless you have a strategy for it. True. and and as this whole space proliferates, right, and and we're looking at the different players in it, and I see that on one end, there's the television networks who continue to do what they do. Um, there are also the OTT players around there. There's this huge influx of people creating content, but also trying to own their platforms in that sense. When I look outside in from a brand perspective, um, what I think the biggest confusion they're facing is how do they find the right mix, right? And what our continued conversation with them is to say, how can we make sure, how can you kind of intertwine that to what your old story is? Have you seen the fact that do you see content more engaging and do you realize that you look at the brand a little differently today than you would look before because they, they have not more avenues to really, tell the story? Not really. I think the different platforms, the context of binge watching, the mm-hmm. concepts of accessibility, yeah. the, kind, the context of non-appointment viewing mm-hmm. has changed the way in which stories need to be told. Yeah. You needed a cliffhanger for a daily soap opera on television. You may not need that if you're yeah. watching binge watching yeah. various different connotations. Yeah. Also, the platforms allow you to be able to cater to a very focused audience mm-hmm. versus the largest common denominator, which yeah. television was. Yeah. Um, I was uh, listening to a chat you had with Vishal Gondal about, I think, about a year or ago. And you mentioned one thing, which I, I finally felt like I, I found one more person who says this, is the fact that you said that whenever you, uh, your office always need to have a pristine loo. Hmm. Uh, which I which I find yeah. I think finally someone else has said this because right. that is exactly what I do every morning when I walk into office and the fact yeah. that the, how pristine your loo is actually shows the fact how how much value you actually give to how the yes. entire organization yes. is. Yes, it's it's a it's a it's a sign of how important the small details of life are important yeah. to you yeah. in every aspect. Yeah. But it also keeps you very grounded in many yeah. aspects. Um, but yeah, I think people I form opinions based on that. <laughs> I know, I know exactly if you ever visit our office, what, what I <laughs> make sure is done. Yeah. Um, you know, being a leader in a creative profession, um, especially if you have a business side angle to things, is tricky primarily because you're not dealing with, I would say, a tangible asset in the sense, something you can really hold in your hands. Um, and many times the calls you take aren't really, there's no science to what you're really pushing out there. Um, 
managing creative professionals and working with creative teams and kind of making sure that business end is taken care of yet on the other end you have the creative aspect in mind how do you, how do you do that balance and in, in well i think you have to cut out the overindulgence mm-hmm. i think the minute you make this into one of those very special situations mm-hmm. you're giving it and putting it on a platform which yeah. it doesn't deserve to be mm-hmm. uh every there's creativity in being a lawyer mm-hmm. there's creativity in being a surgeon and mm-hmm. there's creativity in doing storytelling if you take that as your basic mantra you'll find that actually then you're not going to be able to be that indulgent yeah. i mean if a surgeon has to start a surgery at 9 he's not going to sit today i'm not in the mood yeah okay and so neither should a scriptwriter or a director have that sense of feeling when they're doing a storytelling there's a certain rigor and discipline and i think the the new eras of the digital platforms has brought about that discipline because it's very deadline oriented yeah so there's no context of that yeah So I think yes there's a certain rigor that comes in there creativity is overrated mm. if you're saying yeah you're creating something out of nothing but in most industries you are I think the problem with the indulgence on some of the sectors especially in the media and entertainment industry is which is to indulgent yeah. we think we're special yeah uh we think when we have to create creativity it's so special that nobody else does yeah. that it's it's creativity in space research is creative in everything else with a rigor and a discipline that we lack you know when you look at the entire business um do you feel that even though there is so much content out there right now and this is conversation about content max in that sense everyone's creating too much stuff but as i talk to brands always they say is there stuff happening that is as focused on on thing is there enough good content happening or is there enough i would say the right mix of content happening for audiences um and and i turn back to something it's it's actually about a business call someone's taking to really put this in that sense but the more i talk to creators as well i feel a lot of them are very individual projects which don't end up being as commercially viable um if yeah. you talking to someone who's let's say a a, a fresh creative profession wants to create content out there um especially in today's market what what would you turn to them and say that what should they keep in mind you know i have to say i'm quite disengaged with that context like you're launching a product hmm. or a service yeah. you have to know who your target focus group is yeah. who your who your learner is who yeah. your audience is yeah. who your consumer is yeah. i think if you understand that and you're very clear who yeah. you're saying that for yeah. and it's not indulgent yeah when you're making a creative work you feel you can be indulgent because i want to tell my story my way yeah but if nobody's going to pick it up it doesn't make a damn difference so it's completely irrelevant yeah. and when you're making a product you'll never think i want to make a product that i think i want to do it my way yeah and you have designers uh and a, you know a louis vuitton or a givenchy or whatever else will say yeah this is my vision these are the clothes that i would wear this is the clothes but after some time they're very focused on what they want to do and if yeah. you haven't made that move you're wasting your time yeah I, there is this um, uh, indulgence I like to call is the fact that um, I continue to have conversations with a lot of people who respond to our podcast in the sense that I feel like there's so many people who are let's say students out there who mm-hmm. who want to break into this this mythical world they like to call the media landscape like how I think every industry yeah. is a mythical yeah. thing till you actually get in and you have yeah. perceptions about it. Yeah. the most consistent conversation i hear is what kind of a professional is required in today's time which i think is a little more branched out from just being the media space but across the board because what are the pre- am i qualified enough uh, do i know enough about it maybe it's not for me because i'm not strong and understanding your consumer yeah that's your first step mm-hmm. if you are communicative yeah. and and strong at being communicative in a sense of storytelling fiction or non fiction mm-hmm. a lecturer a teacher a learner whichever way yeah, i think yeah. that's definitely the second one so yeah. i think audi- understanding your consumer or audience is the yeah. first yeah. your yeah. knack and your communication yeah. skills yeah. Um, 
and your clarity of thought, mm-hmm. I think, is the second. And the third one to complete the picture is the rigor and the discipline. Yeah. Did you find it tough or, or not tough is the word, but did you did you feel that at some point is an advantage, but also disadvantage that you were an outsider coming into the industry when you when you yes, started off? I think more or less, I would say it was an advantage. Uh, uh, and I took it as an advantage. But I just want to tell you that that's because I took it that way. I mm-hmm. looked at it as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I looked at it as an opportunity. If I had looked at it the other way, yeah. I would have been, it would have, I would have failed. Yeah. Because I would have thought that I had a sense of entitlement, which I don't. And I couldn't have. And therefore, it gave me the right to relationships. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of businesses are run on relationships. Yeah. Just not in the creative sector. And many mm-hmm. And I'm not sure they are the long-term ones over no. a period of time. Yeah. I remember reading through your book when it came out and I remember reading through all the chapters and what I found interesting was that the methodology that you looked at of running, starting running and and really operating a business didn't really change from the time, depending on what the business was. I mean, the predominant principles of what you looked at were the same, Um, be it, uh, you know, toothbrushes or cable TV. Exactly, right. In that sense. Um, What do you think are the basics, right? If if someone says today, I want to be an entrepreneur, and and like we said, they they look at funding first, and then uh, idea later, and so on and so forth. But what are the basics you keep in mind to say that these are my benchmarks of things I always have to tick the boxes off? Yeah, I mean, I think there are multiple ones, but you know, I think risk taking is is something that has to be in your DNA. Mm-hmm. The logical thing one is that this whole uh, sense of entitlement, where you feel I've got a great idea, mm-hmm. and then you pause and you yeah. think everyone's out there listening for that, I think is flawed. Because today, more than anything else, speed of execution, execution is going to be the most important. So mm-hmm. I think validation of an idea is important, but mm-hmm. you're risk taking DNA ability. But yeah. I think the most important one is how solution oriented yeah. are you? Yeah. Yeah. When you uh, look back at the, at, at the time when um, you chose to make the pivots that you did uh, or tried to make the decision that you did, would there be any which you turn around today and say that, okay, w- would I have it done it differently? Would I have been better? Or See, I was, think um, I just don't believe in hindsight in mm-hmm. that context because you don't have the luxury. So it's such a abstract and theoretical question yeah. that it's not worth anyone thinking about yeah. it. Because if I were to go back, I can't just look at the 2020 vision of what I did because yeah. the other 20 factors that would have also changed if I had taken a different decision, yeah. I have no clue on them right now. Yeah. Yeah. So then I can't take that and use that as my learning for the future. Yeah. That yeah. now I know if I did that differently. Yeah. yeah, but there would have been nine other things that would have also happened differently. Yeah. So that's why I don't look at hindsight as a major learning experience. Because this is, and I asked you this question also, because this is a question a lot of people tend to get into, right? They say, oh, I could have done this better. Maybe I wouldn't have failed if I did this. It's a nice social conversation uh, (laughs) over a drink. I don't drink, so then I don't have this conversation. Um, There was, there was an interesting piece, which I was, which I was reading, which is, uh, I think you were on a a round table with, with a punch and, and you were talking about the whole business of, of how the whole content space and beat, uh, uh, with upgrade or or with RSCP has really evolved, and 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 you you were really talking about the fact that we sometimes look at it in silos in the sense that um, in the movie business you're talking about blockbuster collections on one end, but not really factoring in what how, how to look at let's say an OTD platform digital or looking at how uh, you know television revenue comes in. 
and 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 similarly about like you said about storytelling content how important is it to look at the distribution chain for content uh, especially from the business angle beyond just what the content is no, it's very be important to because otherwise you're living in la la land right i yeah. mean at the end of the day it has to be delivered to an audience yeah. and that's your true test yeah. and what's the consumption pattern of that yeah. like any other product yeah. so you can have the best product but if you haven't got your distribution and your retail outlets or whichever form you want to it's yeah. going to be a problem <laughs> so i think we kind of look at that in silos and that's a problem because we think i've finished my work now somebody else should do that excuse yeah. me but you haven't understood who the who you made it for or you yeah. created it for how is somebody else going to be able to weave magic around it yeah and, and has this piece of content worked is is now such a bizarre question if you yeah. ask me to ask because um it might have done really well on a certain platform but might yeah. not have done on the other and and sometimes you end up watching it much later on something else correct um and uh, it actually gives it more, a longer lifeline lifetime if you look at it in in that sense of the word i have a, a i have a question i ask to every uh, person who's uh, a father to a daughter because i am a, a father to a 2 year old and i always say um, what would you advise of a father of a daughter especially if someone who's who's an entrepreneur um and, and uh, generally what would your piece of advice well just what i did with my daughter i think just you know uh, plan your life the way you want to do i think you know she wanted to get out there and get her education in a particular manner um when she finished that she wanted to finish her masters in a particular manner i think after that the careers that options that she's chosen you know i think parents are always there to yeah. ask questions and guide I don't think today in today's life you can guarantee anyone on the other side and therefore you need to be cautious about that. Uh but I think core upbringing at the early stage and then just being around and being supportive to whatever decision they want to make is very very critical and important. It gives that sense of liberation and confidence to um the sibling that make, that I think is can may have a positive impact for the long term. We do this thing at the end of every episode. We actually, um, it's it's our version of of asking a couple of really random non technical questions. Um, okay. What can you whip up in an instant? An idea. What are you listening? Are you a music buff? Are you a a classical music buff? More for recreation, soothing, and meditation. I think. Um, what what book would you recommend that you read in the last year or so? Well, actually, quite a few. I mean, I think there have been some some nonfiction books that I've read, and I think more on philosophy, mm. um, uh, more on life and death, mm. more on you know things like intelligence and how we actually fool ourselves of being intelligent. So, just a variety of things that interest me. And sometimes I read a book half and then move to another book and then come back to that book and whatever else. And I think I picked that up more from uh, my wife, who's a much more voracious reader. Um. If I had to ask you why advertising will not die, what would your response be to that? Because it's like communication. You need a communication medium. Somebody needs to communicate an idea into a thought process, and I think uh, there's a link. Anything that has a link needs to be there for the long term. Thank you so much for doing Thank this. Thank you. Yeah. Lovely.